Hello there. How are you today? This is Jim the Keys. The Keys Bartender Podcast is a podcast about bartending and Keys life. And today I wanted to talk to you about management. And not talk about management, talk about the decision. Whether a lot of times if you're pretty adept at your job, you will be at some time offered a position of management. And there's a lot, there's a lot of upside to being in management. Uh, and there's a lot of downside also. So the way I view it is first of all, if you're a worker, and me as being and as a senior worker, let's say, doesn't mean I'm better versus a freshman worker, but I mean I'm I'm towards the I have more years left behind me, past me, than I have ahead of me. I'm still very good, adept in my job. I, uh, as as one of those workers, I manage, I view management as management. They are the manager. They set the tone. They set the policy. They oversee the policy. They make sure that you're adhering to it. Uh, they, you know, standardize your expectations of uh what your output uh, should be, what your performance should be, uh, keeping a mind on, you know, operations. So I'm cognizant of that and I'm accepting of it. So it really doesn't matter if someone, it doesn't matter their age their, to me or their gender or uh, their background. What uh, matters to me most is that they're, they're, you know, they're adequate. They know their job. And everyone has different skills doing that particular job, bringing manager. Some some people are deep in the knowledge, but not necessarily high on the leadership uh, skills. No insult there. Uh, that information is very vital. And a lot of people are, you know, heavy on the leadership, more of the intangibles for the position. So, I don't automatically see when I see a new manager come in because there are drawbacks to becoming a manager. First of all, when you're a manager, uh, a lot of times you're not in in certain situations in the restaurant business. Fortunately, they are paid more for the amount of time they spend there. But in management, there's a less defined uh, beginning and starting time. There's more expectations that you're bringing your work home with you as a manager. You have more extended uh, concerns, concerns that don't end with what, when you walk, clock out and walk outside the door. And you're more likely to get uh, communications, whether it's phone, text, or email. So th- it's a longer day for them. For I've always enjoyed uh, my position because of all the different jobs I like to do currently. And I'll go more into depth after this. I I picked up another job other than working at the brewery and distillery. So I'm a spin instructor. I have my notary business. I'm bartending. I do the podcast and I'm picking up another one. It always sounds like, oh, Jim, how do you have time for this? Hold your horses here. It's not that I'm spending 20 hours at each job. job. Some weeks, it could be close to 40 hours or more 
Last week was about 40 hours in my bartending job, but this week it's more like 30. And for the notary work, I do maybe five hours of that. Same thing for a couple hours for the uh, spin instruction. And the new one I expect to do about 10 to 15, maybe 20 hours a week. And depending on where it, uh, I get my income from. So that mix right there kind of prevents me from doing a deep vibe. A dive into management. I I don't have a problem with management. I I uh, I see the importance of it. It's really important to have good a good managerial class to it. And I think what happens a lot of times is that workers kind of have this automatic dislike for managers. And there's a stereotypical, you know, uh, you know, yes man or yes woman people that are are kind of like uh, they they more more care about the bottom line than they do care about the workers. Fortunately, for um, a lot of my experience, I find predominantly most of the managers I've dealt with care a lot about my well-being and the well-being of my coworkers, which I think is essential to being a good leader. Now, you can be a good leader without having great leadership skills. So you can make up for those things in management. But you just got to remember, it, it does provide, being a manager does provide prestige, but it's rarely, I and, and this is a stereotype, managers are rarely compensated, I think, on par with the, uh, a good manager is rarely compensated as well as they should be. Though in this particular company that I'm working for now, the the brewery distillery, they seem to be a little more proactive on how they deal with their management. And they're very heavy on, they're very skilled, they're well-educated. They they take a lead from the front. They don't listen to the podcast, so I'm not, there's very little bleed over for that. And they probably have to, they'd have to dig into older episodes by the time they get to know that I'm doing a podcast to find out that I'm saying this about them. And same thing goes for my coworkers. They, um, it's, it seems as if, uh, when I went there, there seemed to be a lot, uh, there was, it was management heavy, but in this case, the management was also workers to, to, uh, at least two of the managers uh, are workers and the other two higher level managers on a uh, end up being uh, people that get their hands dirty and get involved and work and make sure that the establishment's running well. So enough of that ass kissing for, that I'm doing there. I'm happy with that. So it's really important uh, for me. One of the uh, my requirements is I like to know uh, the management team because they're the people I have to answer to. And I like them to, to get to know me. I don't try to, you know, I like them to know as much detail about me as possible. So when they're making their judgments, so I tell them a lot of things that you say, well, they don't really need to know. But I like them to know that, you know, I'm a spin instructor, I have these other interests, but I'm also willing to, um, you know, pick up extra shifts too. And that, um, you know, the jobs I like doing, because when people get the wrong impression of you, just like from a from the worker standpoint, 
towards the management, if you have the wrong impression of your management, you're less likely to have those really good communication skills you need to be a, a finely run organization when it's smooth. And the same thing goes down with the communication as if you're able to communicate as a manager to your employees. I find that. And uh, I think if you can reduce the barriers of communications and just like open the door, and it's not just, you know, the worker to management, but it's also manager to the worker, meaning you have to be open to listening to your management. And when I say open, I don't mean just doing what they tell you to do, being open to understanding why they're telling you what to do. Once you know the why, a lot of times people have a more, uh, let's say, conducive way they fulfill the, uh, the request, under, understanding the why. And sometimes you may get a, a manager at certain places that say, I want you to do this. And, and most really, you know, well thought up, uh, out request come along with, I'd like you to do this. So we have this. Like, I would like you to perform this, um, task in your checkout. So the next day they're ready to go in the morning. It's a shorter lead time. So. Having um, a lot of times people will give you um, their on, on an airplane, you have a checklist and the checklist for the pilot is for smooth operation of the, uh, the jetliner, right? Or the airplane. And they're critical. They're critical systems they're checking on and they're critical to the flight operation and safety. And when I say critical, when something goes wrong when you're flying, it becomes quickly becomes an emergency. It's not an inconvenience. Now, just because you're not working in a life and death situation, checklist or requirements from your managers uh, may not seem like it's important, but it, in the long run, it may be important important as a, a standardized operation. So, yes, you have to put on the check list that you pull all your A-frame signs in the building when you're done so they don't get swiped, you know, by someone who wants to be a souvenir taking, you know, late at night. Some people say, hey, there may be something I like to put in my backyard, right? So they do that. Uh, some uh, reasons for like health, health inspection reason for uh, the way you clean and sanitize items at the end of your shift, the way you restock, restocking is uh, for the people the next day. And giving someone a proper explanation saying, listen, this is, we like you to do this. This is really important. You know, we like, we like to have a regular checking of the restrooms because we've prioritized the cleanliness of the bathrooms and that experience that you have. So this is all things that managers do and they concern themselves with and they concern themselves at the end of the day because a lot of times things happen when you're in that position as management that you hear about later. You hear about the um, your total audit, uh, of your profits, your net, your gross, how 
uh, well stock is being tracked, how inventory is being controlled, how the ordering system is, how your schedule, scheduling process is working, whether there is adequate coverage. And there's a lot of concerns, and some people see uh, people in management that don't necessarily do the, uh, that aren't doing the grunt work, but they end up doing grunt work too. They do that too because they're filling in the gaps. A lot of good managers will say, we'll kick in uh, their labors in order to make sure that the job is done. Now, if there's adequate amount of staffing there and it should be done anyway, and there's, um, then there may have be a need for the manager to go and step aside and say, listen, uh, your, your efficiency and your output seem to be lacking. And is there anything I can do that make you uh, be able to deliver on the things that I've asked of you? You know, and, and some people get really touchy over that. And that's the managers have to deal on that too. They have to deal with resentment. People, they have to deal with people that have stereotypical beliefs about a gender. Uh, an age, someone's uh, qualifications or someone's education. Because there's all different things that come into play when you're not just as a worker, but as a manager, meaning that there's people that have experience in the job and there's other people that have more of a textual experience, but they're really good at accounting and processes and computer uh management. So don't be so quick to judge because usually the people that do put management in place have a grand design and they know that some people are really good at the scheduling part, at doing reviews, at employee evaluations, and other ones at day-to-day -day operations, meaning, well, we're going to need this to get started and we need this level of um, staffing and have an understanding of the workers, meaning these people are strong in customer relations and they are very good at handling volume. And this other one's really great in knowledge, meaning knowledge for customer service answer questions, things like that. So you have to be balanced and creative and do all these things and also be holding to the people above you, usually the owners or you know, when you get to, or the man, you know, the higher up management, if you're in a corporation, there is multiple levels. Fortunately, I work in a smaller company and the owners, um, eventually I haven't seen the owners, even though I have met them previously. Um, I, I realized that they're beholden to them directly. And if I do my job correctly and, uh, you know, deliver for, what the managers have expectations of me delivering, then I'll make their job easier. And uh, I'm I'm not necessarily about the point is is not making the management's jobs easier, but making their job easier also makes my job easier. Doing the things that they expect of me, doing the things I have to do, and also making the place profitable, because when this when your business is profitable and being well run and there's less conflict. You have more room to expand and do those things that you really need to 
to maintain a, a profit. Because if you don't maintain a profitable stance, you're not growing, you're dying. And you could be looking for a job pretty good. Yeah, you, if your manager fails, that means your your uh, place of business could failing and your job. So why not work as a teamwork? We, you know, I, a lot of times I've spoken in the past about working with others and how you support your coworkers, but also you can support people that, um, let's say, people that are, are are working for you and the people that are working above you. But you, in the end, you're really all working together in different roles. And that's what I have to say about that for a moment. I'll be right back. Hello, I am back. This is Jim, the Keys bartender. I'm making uh, a finishing statement on what I was talking about. I was talking about jobs. I had currently, um, I ha always had these plans and they're always kind of like in flux for a worker. I took uh, leave of the job I had for a long time with a, a local restaurant. I took one a little further south because I wanted to be exposed to it uh, more uh let's say, of a temporal group of people, people that are in flux, tourist area. And that's what I liked about the brewery. You got people coming in, doing tastings and, and things like that. But I didn't necessarily want to be full-time because I think that's what happened to me previously on my last job. I ended up working 40 hours a week and I have this kind of knack for becoming I don't want to say bored, but uh, used to uh, the routine. If I get used to a routine and it happens again and again to me, obviously, I start seeing the commonalities because everything is different. Every interaction that you have with a person is different. But for some reason, it would feel like it's the same thing every day. Every day, some of the circumstances would change, some of the problems would change, some of the good things would change. But in the end, most of it was similar. It was like eating uh, peanut butter and jelly with an apple every day. So, you know, you have to alternate. You got a little variety of spice of life, and that's like what I like to do. I like, uh, and as if you haven't heard it enough, I like having diverse interests and I like learning new things. I really, that's the only, I think that's the healthiest thing for my soul is to be constantly on uh, the prowl for new knowledge and new skills. I, I really love it. It's really in the beginning when I would start in a new field, I've been in insurance, I've been in software sales, I've been in hardware development. When I say hardware development, it was circumported fabrication. I worked for the government several times, the military government. Uh, I had uh, teaching, uh, teaching positions, instructor positions, management positions, uh, public speaking, uh, a job with uh, uh, a nonprofit fundraising. And the new one, I always wanted years ago, I think it was about 33 years ago, I thought, man, I was thinking about being a travel agent. And nowadays, I, I thought for the longest time, 
because of the advent of do-it-yourself shopping for people that have any desires for traveling. I mean, yeah, you could always call the airlines and get a ticket, but prior to the internet and new uh, these uh, websites and applications where people are, you know, being able to search for their own airline tickets, rental cars, hotels, and thing, things similar to that, that um, travel agents were a thing in the past. But I've noticed, so I've, I've done my share of searching for flights, and I realize how difficult it is. And some people don't want to really do that research. Some people have the ability to do their own research. Other people don't. And uh, it would seem as if you, if you had a resource for someone to come in and be able to do the search for you and be able to get, uh, they were in the know. Let's say you're looking for a cruise and you wanted to go cruise out of Miami and you wanted to do this. Well, you, you can contact a travel agent. And I always thought, boy, I do like traveling. I love traveling. It's not only the idea of traveling and getting someplace. I like the physical act of going to the airport or a cruise center or a Zeppelin terminal. I don't think they have too many of those anymore. Uh, that was something probably prior to 1938, 1930, whenever, I think it was 1936 that Hindenburg blew up. But, uh, the last time pe people showed up at a Zeppelin terminal for, I think they had like, at most it would take like 50, 50 people up. These giant uh, hot air uh, blimps or dirigibles. There's non-rigid and rigid, right? Non-rigid is more, enough of that foolishness to get back to the point. So uh, for the longest time, I thought, it wouldn't be like a really good field to get into, much like a telegraph operator, right? How many telegraph operators left? I don't even know if there's, I mean, Western Union's still around, but it's mainly uh, a wiring service for funds. I don't even know if you could send a telegraph message anymore. Maybe you can, but you have to sell, send it over the overnet, uh, internet, overnet, but that would be that would probably be an alternate name for the internet. We call it the overnet. It's over the whole earth. So I had uh, been expo someone exposed to me. No, someone exposed. Someone, someone uh, sent me a missive on doing that. And I started a, a, a couple weeks ago to look into the process. And I started processing it and setting up. Uh, an infrastructure. I'm not going to become, I'm working for a travel agency. I just passed some preliminary tests. I got to do some more training, searching, uh, getting acquainted with software. So, uh, you know, the search, the, the, the applications that they use and getting used to the qualification questions and things like that. But whenever I do something new, like the travel agency, whether if you just if I decided to become a photographer and to 
become a school photographer. Let's say take pictures for schools, which I got to got to admit you probably you're probably traveling all over the place and you got to deal with kids. And I, I'm not saying it's horrible dealing with kids, but uh, I um, I've probably said too much so far. But what what I meant is that whenever you learn a new process and you're outside that comfort zone and you're anxious about, wow, there's so much I don't know about this. I'm, I'm used to, you're used to doing when you have a job, you're used to becoming comfortable with the, your routines and your task. If you're someone that runs a, a lathe, you know how to run a lathe. You know how the RPMs you need for certain type of turns you need to put on, what type of material you're using, and what time, uh, type of cutting tools and what kind of safety uh, uh, um, equipment do you have to use, and the operation of the machine, how, how to clean it, how to set it up. And so you get comfortable with that, and you do it, and you can probably almost do it I wouldn't suggest you do it blindfolded. But there's such a thing when you come really adept at something, like as if you can take a Rubik's Cube and solve it in about 10 seconds. Once you get down to 10 seconds, what's the point? You get down to eight seconds, and then you have your limit as quick as you can turn your hand to get that Rubik's Cube. What, what do you do after that? Will you learn another puzzle? Well, uh, maybe, maybe you do, or maybe you'd learn something different. I always, uh, so I really enjoyed that. And becoming a spin instructor, when I became a spin instructor, it was, took such a long time. And I'm not, I, I can't say I perfected everything yet. I still have to really think about the music and technique and my language that I use for giving instruction and how I motivate people and how I talk about prevention of injury. But I'm still working on that. So I'm not, I haven't become an adept. Like saying, becoming an adept or an expert. Once you become an expert at something, it almost, it, for me, it, it uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I'm an expert bartender. I'm not saying I'm expert. I'm just saying I'm able to go into different environments, environments and become a bartender. And uh, going into a brewery where I didn't know a lot about uh, brewing or distilling seems to be something I'm really be interesting in. And being able to work uh, several ships, you know, sometimes being work more, sometimes less, just gives me more opportunity. But this travel thing, that seems to be like spot on for me. Cruises, hotels, um, rental cars, sports tickets, all these things. Things I don't know. And that is kind of like whenever anybody asks me a question and I'm able to say, I don't know. Uh, so, some people that know me well say, boy. I rarely see you ever say that. And I go, well, you know, I really kind of really enjoy not knowing something. And the point of that is it gives me an opportunity to learn something if I'm interested in it. 
like if someone starts telling me something about NASCAR and no insult to people that like NASCAR, I do turn off unless it's really interesting. I do tune off what they're about to tell me. But if they tell me something about a historical event or maybe science-based science or astronomy, I, I find it exciting. I like hearing about the anatomy. I'm not crazy uh, about it necessarily, but, you know, some interesting, some uh, technology. I like that. I like hearing about AI. I like aer aeronautics, aerospace. So all these things, being able to uh, expand my mind and think about it and think about um I mean, maybe maybe doing those things, it may not be a cure for dementia. It may not. But I really don't come to a point where I'm really overly comfortable with my uh, background knowledge and whatever I'm doing. If I'm really having, uh, I'm delivering it with an ennui. Like that uh, IT, you know, IT expert working, you know, the obnoxious person at the uh, Apple store who, you know, you, they know everything they need to know about Apple and they, they, that's their thing. And they look at you like you're an idiot that you don't know that you don't have, uh, you ran out of space in your iCloud account. I mean, why, why necessarily would you know about that? Are you supposed to know what they know? That's their expertise. They're, they're experts about that. They're expert about Foursquare and their Dungeons and Dragons cosplay uh, weekend thing that they do. That's what they're experts at. But you know a lot of things. You know about dating. You know how to have friends. You know how to cook some food other than macaroni and cheese. So. Don't let someone's expertise get to you. You do have specific knowledge and you just have to be able to mine it. And uh, that's the thing that I think that most people, when you see these people that are out there being fulfilled, doing different things, that's why travel is so exciting because going to a different place and seeing new things and not having an expectation about what you see or hear or experience is uh, something new where you're learning. It's kind of forced. It's a forced way of learning something, going to a new place and experiencing different food, culture, and things like that. But the same thing goes if you're getting a new job and you have to know, learn a new process. I remember that first day when I took uh, in the circuit board industry, I had a basis of understanding on the plating aspect. They do plating on circuit boards where they put thin layers of uh, metal on circuits to create the circuit that, you know, that transistors and chips are attached to and create a system where, you know, a, a computerized system. When it comes to, I knew some of that, but when it came to software, I had to take a I, I went to college. I didn't pay a lot of attention to the programming. I, I was really remiss at programming. The organization eluded me. The, the 
the logic that you had in, in programming. And it took me a while to understand how uh, the garbage in, garbage out uh, concept that, you know, a computer will only know uh, by the quality of data it comes in and the operations it's instructed to do with that data. So I heard that I could repeat it back, but it was only when I was working in the software business that I truly understood that. And I did not get worked up about the background uh, programming. I did not get worked up. I know that was, I, I would not, uh, I would just know about what the name it is, what the protocols were, um, about uh, user licenses, but I would know about the data fields and the modifications that were allowed to go into the standard software. So I can look at it and I can manipulate those fields that are standard. You know, they have a standard. Um, I'm not talking through the back end with the program, with the, the tools that give you to just to put what value into certain boxes and it would deliver this output. And once I got comfortable with that, I was able to demonstrate the product and I became more comfortable with it. So now I, when I look at a program now, I don't necessarily look at the programming language. I look at the data fields that it collects. And if it doesn't collect that data field, then I know it won't be able to perform what it's meant to do. And sometimes I, I judge, I look at it uh, when I look at an application, I look at it at a big, and there, there are ways you can get a hold of that data, but if you don't have a, a function behind it, then you wouldn't be able to perform. And this is all the things I, I learned and I didn't know before. And I was very super anxious when I first uh, started being uh, questioned about it and I didn't know how to answer and I kept on drilling down and drilling down and thinking until I fully understood what the concepts were that I needed to understand to be able to move forward. And that that's, I guess it's always been a dream like for me. When I was uh, younger, whenever I had a fever or, or a sunburn or something like that, I would have a uh, some kind of vivid dream. And the dreams would always appear to be uh, some system. It could be a crumpled up car. It could be a crumpled up piece of paper. It could be a bumpy road. And the process of the dream when I would, uh, when I was having it was me working out the kinks and flattening things out, and making them smoother. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to smooth the wrinkles in my brain because I think the wrinkles in the brain are actually, in, you know, uh, you know, a positive, but smoothing out smoothing out that information I need to have in order to complete a task. And that's what I like to do. And that, that's what I do by taking a new, let's say, a new career that I'm looking at. So that's it for today. So expand your mind and your ass will follow. This is Jim the Keys Bartender. I'll be back again on another day.